seekers, joy givers, anyone looking for an infusion of joy, you've come to the right place. My name is Deb McGregor. We've got another great program lined up for you. But first, let's give a great big thank you to our sponsors. Since 1894, Ameriprise Financial has worked for their clients' futures, helping millions of Americans retire on their terms. Work with Ameriprise Financial Advisors Gina Ripkema, Shelley Loff, and Donna Gunderson, and together you'll develop a customized plan for your retirement. Discover the one-to-one relationship you deserve. Call Gina Ripkema, Shelley Loff, and Donna Gunderson. Office is located downtown Bemidji at 122 3rd Street Northwest or at 1202 1st Street East in Park Rapids. Investment advisory products and services Services are made available through Arise Financial Group, a division of Ameriprise Financial Services, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Realtors Noemi, Harry, and Abby of Team Aylesworth with Real Living First Realty are here for all your real estate needs in Bemidji and the surrounding communities. Whether you are looking to purchase a home or looking to sell, call the award-winning customer service team to help. Please contact Noemi at 218-760-4689 or click the link for Team Aylesworth on the Business Impact Partner page at yourqfm.com. Team Aylesworth with Real Living First Realty, where you are their priority. Thank you so much, sponsors, and thanks to all of you for choosing to tune in today. We've got another great show. I'm so excited to welcome to the program Edie Perrine. Edie, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so great to have you. Now, we should let people know that to many, you are actually known as Edie Heem. Yes. And we will get to that as a part of your journey, but that's something that we just want people to know because for many years, you were that name and uh, we'll talk, oh my gosh, there's so much to talk about in your journey. So welcome to the show. Yes, it's so glad you're here. here. So we should let people know how you even got here today, which I always call these, these God incident stories. I was walking Maverick, my dog, and I saw these kayakers down by the bridge. So, of course, I walk over because at first I actually didn't know if you needed help. I didn't know if there was something wrong. And so I was, you know, of course, I start talking to Gene, your husband, and he and I are talking and I can tell he's just like, who are you? (laughs) Like, why are you talking to me? And then the more we start talking, he starts talking about you and these kayak trips that you do with women in this ministry. And I'm like, She needs to come on the radio program. And from there on, of course, you know, we ended up talking at the bridge uh, near the water for quite some time. And we also, you said, I think I know your husband. You and my husband used to work together. Was that 26 years ago, maybe? 28? It was a long time ago at Aramark, I think. I worked at the university for 24 years, and I think Steve was one of the first student managers I remember. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And of course, for those that, that don't know, my husband had actually gone back to school as an adult and got this job working, uh, and he would work concessions and work all these other different things. But little secret I want to let everybody know, of course, we had no money. I mean, we literally, we were so broke. And so at the end of the night, they would let him take home the extra hot dogs and pizza from the (laughs) concessions. And it was, I mean, there were nights or there were weeks when we, that was kind of a delicacy for us other than ramen noodles and spaghetti noodles, because we literally had nothing. We were living on nothing. So, um, so I was very grateful for that. So how cool that, that (laughs) we made this little connection. So here you are today and I'm just excited to have you here. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about just you in general. Have you always lived in Bemidji? A little bit about your upbringing. Let's just give people a sense of who you are. I was actually raised in international falls born and raised 
I grew up in a Christian family, so I've always known the Lord. Um, I, I just had a real heart for um, the Lord and never really swerved from it, although like any Christian, we all have our ups and downs. Um, and then um, we moved, when, when I got married, I married a classmate that I met in 10th grade, and um, the last place before Bemidji was in uh, Cloquet in Potlatch, was tearing down their stud mill, and they needed to bring, uh, they were transferring, they were going to start building a stud mill here in Bemidji. That was back in 1990, and so Dave and his uh, the plant manager, Pete Abbey, were the only two that they kept from the stud mill and moved up here. So they actually just worked out of a construction trailer. And um, while the mill was being built, they were putting together training manuals and interviewing people and getting everything set up. So he was there right at the grassroots. Wow. I, didn't, I guess I didn't realize that. And so at what point did you start working at BSU? Um... Probably three or four years after we moved up here. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. And at some point, like everything's going along and everything's happening and you've created this life together, and then there's a horrific accident. Yep. May 9th, uh, 2016, I was at work. It was the first day of summer break. We had just finished commencement. Um banquets or whatever at the end of graduation for both BSU and the Northwest Tech. And so Monday was the first day of vacation. And um, so I was in the office, and I got a phone call about 10, and uh, someone from my church, and he said, Edie, I'm so sorry to call you with bad news, but uh, your husband's been hurt, and he's being taken to the hospital by ambulance. I didn't think to ask questions or anything. I just said, okay, hung up the phone and walked up to my car. I think I was afraid to ask what happened. I didn't want to face the worst. I remember telling myself, he probably just broke a, uh, his arm or something. Um, and um, then he didn't show up at the hospital. And so I called people back and I finally found out that they, uh, because it was head injuries um, and all, they flew a helicopter in and uh, picked him up and brought him right to the trauma center. But he was at a resort helping a friend cut down some trees, and this birch tree was dead at the top. And so uh, they wanted to cut it down before it broke off and killed someone. And they had it all tied off with tension, um, steel cables and clamps, but one of the clamps broke. It was equipment failure. And he was already cutting at the stump. He had headphones on so he couldn't hear the guys yelling to run. And uh, it came down on him. And it, it broke his back in five places. Um, he had industrial-sized staples in his head. Um, he had a, I don't know if you call it a compound fracture, the, his uh, leg bone broke. It was literally pr protruding out of the skin. Um, he broke several ribs, his sternum, um, but so they put him on all these machines right away, and he actually lived in in uh, ICU for nine days in a coma. So we never did get those last words or anything. But um, you know, when I finally got the news that they were bringing him to the trauma center and realized just how serious it was, 
I think I went into shock. I was just, I was traumatized. Yeah. I didn't have any feelings. I was just, I don't know where I was. My, my, my world had suddenly been turned inside out and upside down. Yeah. I was floundering. And with no answers at this point? No. And so did you head down then or what? Yeah, my sister drove me down. And on the way down, my youngest son, who was a lieutenant with the Los Angeles Port Police in California, kind of pulled some strings. And he called at the trauma center there in Robbinsdale and got to talk to one of the um, ICU doctors. And he said, hey, look, I know you're not supposed to give out information, but I'm, I'm a cop or, you know, police, I know how, the, how this all works, but I live in California. Do I buy a plane ticket or not? And she said, yes. And um, so and she gave him a little bit more information. Um, and so when he called me, he was sobbing. I could hardly make out his words, and he just started off, Mom, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Mom. And uh, that's kind of when I really shut down. <laughs> Just take a moment just to breathe. Mm-hmm. So as you're driving down, we know you have this relationship with the Lord. You know you're potentially facing the worst. Where is God in this for you in this moment? Was this something where it was like, oh, I need to reach out to God? Or was this a moment where you couldn't even think to that? Because I think this is what happens a lot of times for people. A trauma happens and the shock is so strong that sometimes everything freezes. I think my prayer for a long time was just, God, help me. God, I think God understands that too when we can't articulate or we're, we're yeah, just God, help me. Yeah. That was a, my prayer a lot. And as time went on, I remember thinking, when I finally realized um, Well, for those nine days, I didn't know. Is he going to live or is he going to die? And somewhere in the middle of that, those nine days, I was afraid he he wasn't going to live, and I was afraid he might live because I started to think about what kind of life would he have if he were to live. He could have been a quadriplegic. Um, He could have been... um, uh, It could have affected his his mind... Um, it could be where he just ends up in a nursing home, and he would have hated. He would have hated it. He was a very active man, and um, so yeah, it was. So I finally started praying for either mercy from the Lord, you know, wanting, uh, well, miracle first. <laughs> That's the one answer yeah. I wanted. Um, God, we need a miracle, and if not, then give us mercy and take Dave home. That's not what I wanted, but um, for his sake, I didn't want him to suffer. Yeah. And I also, and then right after he died, I remember thinking to myself, okay, Edie, you've always professed faith in God. Now let's, now you've got to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's not in those moments where we find out how, where our faith is really at. Can we apply those truths that we know? Yeah. It's, I always talk about it's so easy to say all these great things about God when everything's going right. It's so easy to say all these things work when it's going great. Mm -hmm. The test is when it's not going great. That's the proof, yep. It's the proof. 
And I believe that God's people walking in this testimony of faith, that we can be with him, he is with us in the suffering, that is the testimony, right? That is, the, I, I'm going to call it the PowerPoint. It's sort of the PowerPoint of God. Mm-hmm. And you and I were talking before we went live about suffering. Yeah. And how this suffering, because there's more, this is just one piece of it, actually started bringing you to a different level with the Lord. Much deeper, much more intimate. It it was a bittersweet time, a time of grieving, but also a time of really experiencing God in a whole new way. I know that you had a Caring Bridge site, and you had so much support from people. I would love for you to just speak to that support and these people who just held this container of space for you and held you when that holding was so important. Because I think as people are going through grief, we underestimate the power of God's people holding us up. Yeah, just being able to see the body of Christ in operation. Uh, I never felt so vulnerable in my life or so needy. Um, I, I didn't know up from down. I felt like I was laying in a gutter hemorrhaging somewhere. Um, and my church family and my biological family and friends really rallied for me. Um, We lived way out in the country. We had an outdoor wood boiler. Uh, I remember thinking to myself, if I end up being alone, I can't can't get through a winter trying to keep that wood-burning stove going. It It took big log chunks. I didn't have that kind of strength. Um... And there's just, we would get um, snowed in a lot of times. And, you know, again, one of those hard spots where you don't want to move because that's where all your memories are and yet afraid to stay because I didn't feel safe or um, adequate or capable of, of maintaining everything there. And I'm sure that there are people listening who have experienced maybe not the exact same thing. But there is this, like, we talk about the New York Minute. Life changed overnight. Literally, Mm -hmm. you went to work one day, and everything was one way. Yeah. And when you left work that day, it's never been the same. Yeah. I know that this journey brought you down dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety and just trying to work through this, even as the Lord was working in the midst of the struggle. Talk to us about that time period after and and really digging into that relationship with the Lord, and then also how God started to show you what you were capable of doing. Well, I'm kind of a high-energy, sometimes high-anxiety type of woman. And at first, um, I, I couldn't sleep. I lost a lot of weight. I was, I, food didn't even appeal to me. I knew I had to eat to, to stay alive, but uh, I just felt like eating sawdust. And um, it's shortly after, well, I had the summer to grieve, so I did pretty good then. But then false startup happened at the university, and that's always crazy for everybody. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to hire... 75 or, or more international students, and there's all kinds of paperwork just to get them hired and then put them in the, into the uh, time clock system and the payroll system. And um, students are buying beaver books that I've got to put on the computer. I'm updating their, their barcodes continuously, and that's just 
extra stuff at that time of year. I'm still expected to do the payroll, the accounts payable, accounts receivables, um, and run the office. And so there'd be times when I've got a, a row, line of students waiting in my office, and I've got the phone ringing off the hook, and cashier's calling because somebody's card's not working. And so that has always been a stressful time of year. We used to call September the the month from hell. <laughs> if you survived that, you could survive the rest of the year. <laughs> but then I also, you know, a month later then, I'm, I moved. And um, that was finally the tipping point for me. It was too much. I started having um, panic attacks. And um, I, I needed help. <laughs> so I, I was smart enough, I guess, to go to the doctor and get medication to help me so that I can cope. Yeah. So we should mention to people that are listening that this may be sounding familiar or, you know, oh, I've had that type of level of stress, that full-on permission to seek the help that is there. God puts these professional people in our places to help. And I often, you know, every once in a while I'll come across someone who says, well, if God wants me to be healed of this, he'll just heal me of this. Well, you know, sometimes God puts people in our path because you ministering to that doctor in a way with what's going on for you, God is working in that too, right? And so we just want to let people know if you're going through this and you're having that anxiety and that stress and maybe even to the degree of panic attacks, it's okay to reach out for help and, and give yourself that permission. That, that's, you know, sometimes the tendency is to just pull in and um, isolate uh, because you're afraid you'll cry in public or something like that. But really, that that's a time when friends truly do want to help you. Don't be afraid to share what your needs are. Yeah. Um, you know, I had many miraculous things happen. Uh, my church rallied the men in their tractors. They all came out and helped uh clean up our yard. We had just had 80 cords of wood harvested off, and it was just covered with debris. And Dave had had all these piles of gravel and black dirt hauled in, waiting to be spread. And he was going to work on getting the stumps out and spreading the the gravel and dirt and planting grass. And I had to get that all... I had If I wanted to sell my house, we had to get it done. And so, I mean, they came out there with their tractors, and they did it all. And they even mowed my lawn all summer. So that was the first really big deal for me. And then uh, we had a garage sale. They had a four-stall garage, and it was full of every tool known to mankind. And a bunch of friends and my sisters and brothers-in-law came, helped me have a rummage sale, and it was amazing, the turnout. Uh, I found out later a whole bunch of houses out in the country there by me were having rummage sales the day, same day, and I didn't know it. So we attracted a lot of people. They just came in waves. Wow. Um, but the best part about my rummage sale is a couple came that saw the for sale sign in the yard. They said, oh, this is a cute place. And so they inquired, whose house was it? And uh, so they came and talked to me and um, wanted to know why I was selling. And I told them my story. And they wanted to know if they could come up and look at the house. And um, long story short, they bought it. So God oh, brought praise the Lord. my potential buyers to the, the garage sale. <laughs> I love that. Um, this is how God's working, right? Oh. It's just one more thing, right? And then I really wanted to move to Irvingboro. That was that was the only place I wanted to consider. Otherwise, it's going to rent. 
and uh, there's nothing for sale. And if you want to get into Irving Borough, you almost have to know somebody who knows somebody and get on the inside track before it goes on the market. And um, literally the night before I was going to meet with my realtor to go look at rentals because we were getting down to the wire, he had heard the night before that somebody was moving. She hadn't she already had a listing agent, but it wasn't going on the market till Monday. He found out on a Friday night, and long story short, he she gave him permission to do a one-time showing with me, and uh, I was able to get into Irvingboro. That was uh, that spoke so much to me of God's love and um, care. It, it felt so personal because God gave me the desires of my heart. Yes, and He He does give us the desires of our heart. When we are in relationship with the Lord and those things glorify him and they allow his perfect plan for us to come to fruition, he does give us those things. Like, I don't, how do we explain this to people, right? Like, it's just, oh, it's just such a big deal. It's, it's when you know, you, you get it, right? Like, you just, you know, you need, when you know. So let's get to this point where, because, we're, I mean, we're, we're moving through pretty quickly to your entire life story here, Right. But at some point, God also brings someone new into your life. Now, did that happen before or after you started getting involved with grief support groups? Because I want to make sure I've got this chronologically in place. After. Okay. So talk about that. Yeah. Um, talk about what the... the grief, so you started getting involved in grief support groups, and ultimately you ended up meeting... I don't want to give away... <laughs> your new bow. <laughs> yeah, I had gone through the Grief Share program, which uh, is a, a faith-based program, um, and it's part DVDs where you get um, to hear from uh, pastors and authors and um, writers and uh, counselors, and 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 you even get to hear real life people that are experiencing what you're experiencing. And then there's uh, the other part of the um, evening is just the support of the group and sharing sharing what's going on. There, There's comfort in being with those who mourn and are going through the same thing you are, and um, that was life-changing for me. Mm. And so um, I was on eHarmony, and this guy reached out to me, and um, I read his bio and could see that he was a believer. He shared my values and my faith. He also shared a lot of my um, passions, like um, kayaking and biking and hiking and just real active lifestyle. And so I remember, um, but then I found out, I asked him, how long he had lost his spouse, and it had been only six months. And so I remember thinking, uh-oh, don't, get, don't uh, let yourself get involved because he's not ready. So, But I did encourage him to go to Grief Share, and I, I believe it really helped him as well. So our friendship, it was, it was just a friendship to begin with. Um, we shared scripture verses, we shared songs, we just encouraged each other, and became very good friends. So it was it was a while before we started kind of thinking, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, it just, it almost feels like it was sort of in the teenager mode again, but not really. Like yeah. you've had all these life experiences, but there's still that 
okay, we're friends. Okay, well, maybe we should think about this, right? Yeah. <laughs> so how long have you and Jean, I think I said his name at the beginning. So how long have you now been married? Uh, one and a half years. Does that qualify still to be newlyweds? I think we're just going to make it count because we can make it up, right? So how has this relationship, it's like there's something in here about God taking you to a new level because here God has gifted you with this relationship. Both of you had previously been married. Both of you are widows. And here God gifts you with this relationship for this stage of your life. I'm grateful. I, uh, you know, I was just starting to face the retirement years. Mm-hmm. And of course, when Dave died, it felt like my heart was not only broken, but it just felt like my future was shattered. Mm-hmm. But I eventually um, realized my, my heart was broken, but not my life. I still yeah. had a life. In fact, I still had many parts of my life still intact. I still had family and friends in my church. Um, and that my dreams were shattered, but not my future. I did still have a future, and God's plan for my life still went forward. Yes. And so um, that really helped a lot. Yeah. And we know God's taking you to new levels because he brought you to this radio program today. You said to me, this is a big step for the Lord, right? Uh, This is way beyond my comfort zone. (laughs) And you're doing amazing. This, I love this. One of the other things you talked about that God really led you to was leading these kayak experiences for women. So it almost kind of became a part of a ministry for you. Well, I'm on, I was on the women's ministries board at my church and, um, we were trying to come up with some summer activities for the women. And, um, I was just kind of new to kayaking even, but, um, I volunteered then to organize, um, a little kayak excursion for the ladies. And, um, We've had a good turnout. There's a lot of ladies who aren't interested in sewing and knitting and that's, you know, a little more adventurous. And so it's been fun. Yeah, I love that. I know that scripture has probably been a driving force for you as God continues to draw you deeper into relationship with him. Is there a scripture that for you has just been like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is my driving scripture. Yeah. uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Mm. Tell me how that speaks to you. I especially felt that in the second year. It was almost harder than the first um, because I, I finally was coping with the grief pretty well, but life felt empty. There was a big hole in my life. And now who is Edie? What does Edie like to do? What does Edie's future look like? Um, and whenever I would try to figure it out, I would just get overwhelmed and depressed and whatnot. And this verse comforted me that I could just lean on the Lord and trust him. He'd Mm -hmm. guide and direct it and fill it for me. Yeah. And he surely did. Yes, he has. And just really now even bringing you more to take what you have experienced to help others. If there was one piece of advice that you could give to someone who's been experiencing grief or, or maybe going through the process, what would that be? You know, it was easy to just look at all the things that I lost, but I felt like the Lord just spoke to me that, Edie, count your blessings. Look at what you have, not what you lost. That was one thing. And then I learned to trust in his sovereignty. I had to accept even the fact that God was, I could trust God with the the way that Dave died and and with the timing of his death. 
um, I'm not, I'm not because I understood anything, but just because I know that God is good and he's trustworthy. Um, and um, I found a, a, a new meaning for that um, phrase, the sacrifice of praise. Um, in my deepest, darkest hour, my sister came to visit me, and she started playing hymns on the piano, and we started singing together, and the Holy Spirit just came down and filled me, and my tears of sorrow turned to tears of joy. God inhabits the praises of his people, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and we want to thank you for bringing your joy here today, and we want to thank you so much for sharing and taking it up another notch in your walk with the Lord. <laughs> Edie Perrine, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you being here. Pleasure to be here. And thank all of you for choosing to listen today. Please remember to go out, live joy, and share joy. Live joy, share joy, shine your light to the world. This is Deb McGregor of Life Full of Joy. Thank you for tuning in to Live Joy, Share Joy. We currently have availability for corporate sponsors on the show. Do you want to be aligned with all things joy and reach our listening audience? We have several options available, including our joy boosters. Contact your QFM today for sponsorship details.